Please turn with me in your Bibles to the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. We've been there a while. Today is part three of four parts that cover this chapter. And we come to the most difficult interpretive challenge challenges today in verse verses 24 through 31. Up to about verse 23 in Mark 13, um, it's been relatively easy to interpret compared to the text that we do come to today. Most of the verses in our text today have to do with timing issues. And so first, let's just list these issues that we see in today's text. The difficult verses which have timing issues. First, we look at verses 24 and 25. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Matthew says in his parallel text there, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, if this does refer to something in the future, why does Jesus say, but in those days after? Shouldn't in those days after mean sometime real close to the destruction of Jerusalem. And if Jesus did mean sometime real close to the destruction of Jerusalem, well then his coming didn't seem to happen. The second difficult interpretive verse is verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man. Jesus is described as coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And verse 27 continues this picture, and then he will send out his angels and gather his elect. Again, does this refer to sometime in the future? The third difficult interpretive verse is verse 29. Jesus says, So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Well, these things must refer to things preceding his return, but what can they be? If these things are all the calamities leading up to the fall of Jerusalem, then Jesus' second coming did not follow those events. But then the timing issue, which probably has caused the most consternation down through the church age, is in verse 30, the fourth one. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. If this generation does mean the generation of people Jesus was talking to right then, What are all these things which must take place in their lifetime? This is just the list. Before we begin to address these issues, we need to take a breath and read our text and ask the Lord to open our eyes 
and hearts through the power of his spirit. Let's do that first. Would you bow your heads for prayer? Oh Lord, we come to this text that deals with your coming. And we have lots of questions. We pray again that you'd let us see this chapter as a whole and how Jesus answered each of the questions that the disciples asked, even if he didn't answer them in the order that they were asked. And we pray that you'd open our hearts to see the truth, the glorious truth of the fact that he will return. And we ask that you would work in our hearts to see the truth and how it applies to us. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. If you are able, would you please stand as I read our text this morning, Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 31. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are... Two attempted solutions to these timing issues that we have listed in this text. And both of these attempted solutions, I believe, have insurmountable problems. First is the attempt to place all these events together at one point in time and locate that point at the end of history. This would make all the events in Mark chapter 13 in the future. And the fall of Jerusalem is made to fit into events outlined in other biblical books like Revelation. Made to fit is the key there. The distresses of Jerusalem seen in verses 5 through 20 would be linked to the great tribulation at the end of the age, which precedes the battle of Armageddon, and then the thousand-year reign of Christ. In this view, this generation refers to the generation living at the time of the final attack on Jerusalem. Now, the main reasons many have not been persuaded by this handling of Mark 13's details are that they believe verse 14 through 20 
describe the historical fall of Jerusalem, which already happened in A.D. 70. They believe that this generation in verse 30 can only refer to the generation living at the time Jesus spoke. Again, I believe those are insurmountable problems. The second attempted solution is the opposite case for the time reference. To put all these events together, but place them all when? In the first century, in connection with the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans. Here, all these events would have been in the past. They've already happened. The coming of Christ in verses 26 and 27 would then have to refer to his judgment on Jerusalem as it fell. The end of the age, as seen in Matthew 24, 3, is the third question of the disciples would have to mean the end of the Jewish age, which would then be followed by the church age. And again, this second attempted solution makes everything in Mark 13 in our passage about God's past judgment on Jerusalem. That's what it would be all about. Now, the main reasons many have not been persuaded by this view are that they believe it's very difficult to see how the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and glory, with the angels sent to gather His elect from the ends of the earth, was fulfilled at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. The question the disciples asked about the end of the age is not really answered in this view, at least not as most anyone, including the disciples, would have understood it. And I think the most compelling argument against it really is that the chapters most Christians have always looked to for assurance of the Lord's return and the encouragement to be ready and watch for it would not be about the Lord's future return at all in this view because it's already happened. And when you think about this for a second, it would also mean that, in fact, Jesus would have virtually, would have virtually nothing to say about his second coming to anyone living in succeeding generations, including us. And if John did write Revelation in 90 A.D. or thereabouts, which many believe, then Jesus had already come in this view. The solution to all this, and there is one, is to make sure that we're following the flow of the text in context. And this means we absolutely cannot try to fit what we read here into some system that we've become familiar with or have already adopted. There are at least six observations that we must take into account. Let me make that appeal appeal again. Almost everybody in here has a system maybe you've been brought up with And when you read these words in Mark 13 and Matthew 24, you try to fit them into your system. And we're all guilty of that. The appeal is not to try to fit them in. The appeal is 
to listen to the flow of the text and what Jesus has done and let that be the criteria that makes a difference. And then you can try to sort out all, all of the very confusing interpretations that we have heard probably growing up. And what are these observations that we must take into account? You'll recognize real quick as I go through these that this is an outline of the whole chapter which we've got to look at. The first observation is that everything in chapter 13 of Mark is Jesus' answer, answers to the, to the disciples' question at the beginning of the chapter which Matthew records as three distinct questions. When will these things be is first. Both Mark and Matthew have that one verbatim. When will these things be? What things? They just left the temple grounds, and they said, Oh, what beautiful buildings. And Jesus looks at them and basically says, All these buildings will be destroyed. There won't be one stone left upon another. And these guys are just blown away. So that's what they're referring to. When will these things be? The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the close of the age? Those are the three questions that Jesus is answering. And we've noticed the order. The second observation in Mark chapter 13, verse 5 5 through 13, is that Jesus tells them there will be many calamities and earth-shaking events, but these are but the beginning of the birth pains. These are not signs of Jesus' immediate return. They will characterize all of church history, these calamities that he lists at the beginning of this chapter. Why? Because we read in verse 10, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations and then the end will come. In verses 5 through 13 then, in review, Jesus answers the disciples' third question. What will be the sign of the close of the age? And then in verses 14 through 20, Jesus' next point is actually his answer to their first question. When will these things be? The temple, Jerusalem. This horrible catastrophe will be one particular dreadful example of the calamities that he listed in verses 5 through 13. Jesus gives them a warning. He tells them to flee to the mountains when they see the beginning of this happening. But even this is not the end. Everybody following this so far? Jesus isn't answering them in order because these guys are doing what we do. We want it in order. We want to know exactly what's going to happen and then when. What he's doing is saying... The whole time from when I am about ready to die and be resurrected until the end of the age, these calamities, these tribulations will be happening. 
And then he answers their first question about the temple grounds. He says, look, this is horrible. This is an horrible, but it's an example of all the calamities and the tribulations that will keep going all the way through church history. Does that help? This is how we've approached it. It's, and you notice in most of your Bibles that these, actually have, these sections actually have titles about which, what he's talking about. But there's something else in this answer to the first question. And that's our fourth observation in verses 21 through 23. Jesus continues there with more information about the fall of Jerusalem, emphasizing again that this is still not the end. Because why? Because these guys could not fathom any other idea than, look, if the temple grounds in Jerusalem is destroyed, that is the end of the world. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. This is just the beginning of the calamities and the tribulations that will last all the way until I come back. That's his point. Another way to think of this is to say, how would these guys know that Jesus had not yet returned after Jerusalem's fall? Especially when they hear claims of what? We read there, He's over there. Jesus, the Messiah has come. He's over there. And there's great signs and wonders, our texts say, is going on. Because Jesus says that his coming will be sudden. It will be unannounced and immediately visible to everybody, like lightning, which is how Matthew puts this, that flashes suddenly and is seen once by everyone. So these guys are going, okay, okay, wait a minute. If, if this isn't the end, and it's going to keep going, how, will we know, how do we really know that Jesus hadn't come back? What's he say? Because everybody's going to know. Every eye on the face of the earth will know when he returns. No question. It'll be sudden and visible to everybody. The fifth observation in verses 24 through 31 Jesus answers the disciples' second question, which was, and what will be the sign of your coming? Guess which text this is? Today's. So, if you list these questions, the questions are, when will these things be? That's one. And what will be the sign of your coming? That's two. And the third one is, in the close of the end of the age, Jesus starts with the last one and answers that first, the first part of the chapter. And then he answers number one, when will these things be? That was last week. And now he answers, when will be the sign of your coming? What's the most important question of all those three? The one we're on today. He leaves it for last. I wonder why. Because it will happen last. There will be signs in the sky, sun darkened, moon not giving its light, stars falling, powers of heaven shaken, including the sign of the Son of Man in the clouds with great power and glory. And nobody knows what the sign of the Son of Man is. That's how Matthew includes that. Mark just says he will, the, the Son of Man will come on the clouds. But as far as the sign of the Son of Man, it will be conjecture if anybody can say this is exactly what it is. 
plus the sending out of angels to gather the elect from the ends of the earth. But what's the point of all the signs? And this is very important. Not that they will precede Jesus' coming, so then could it, people would be enabled to see them and get ready. It's exactly the opposite. There is no body that's going to be able to see these signs that he's listed, the sun, moon, stars, including him coming on the clouds, and then go, oh, I, I better fall down at his feet now and believe in him so I won't be, le- so I won't be sent to some place I don't want to go forever and ever. Uh Uh-uh. That's not the point. The point is, on the contrary to that idea, that they will coincide with Christ's coming, which will be, again, the key word is sudden. If someone is not ready beforehand, there will be nothing that they will be able to do when Jesus actually returns such a person will be lost. The sixth and last observation is in verses 32 through 37, the end of the chapter, which we'll get to in two weeks. John Wilkes will be preaching next week. Fabulous to hear from him. These verses... Jesus applies what he said about his coming by emphasizing again, guess what? It's suddenness. He does this by giving an example of a man going on a journey, but then coming back suddenly. He'd commanded his doorkeeper to stay awake. The question that we're supposed to be asking is, will he be awake when the master returns? The point is that Jesus' servants must be ready. For you don't know when the master of the house will come. So stay awake. So, let's go back and see if we can shed some light on the four main timing issues or references in the, in, and understand them better. First, In verses 24 and 25, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. In those days after that tribulation, must refer to all the many distressful times down through church history, and perhaps culminating in a time of unusual stress just prior to Christ's return. Jesus was speaking here of the tribulation during this entire period. I think the key for most of us, the hurdle is it's not just going to be seven years or half of seven years at the very end. Because then you're hoping for the wrong thing. Hope you noticed the text earlier. It said that if God hadn't shortened the time, he did so for the elect. Which means all of us who are here 
go through calamities and tribulation. Nobody's escorted off the planet to avoid it. A very common misunderstanding, especially if you saw a certain movie back in the 70s. It just is not true. If you're hoping in what's called the rapture instead of Christ coming, we'll see why that's important. When Christ comes, it's over. And everyone will know it. So Jesus is talking about the tribulation during the entire period from the days of his death to his resurrection and resurrection to the destruction of the temple and extending on through the present age, our age. Jesus is saying immediately after the period of tribulation, all this period, which will characterize the whole time after my death and resurrection. In other words, after the distresses of the signs of the end, which we know from elsewhere will be the last days, Acts 2, Hebrews 1, this is the term. And this age, then comes the end. And the way in which Jesus answers these questions makes us aware of the tension between all the signs preceding his coming and the suddenness of his coming. This tension is the same that we see all through the New Testament between its termed otherwise as the already and the not yet. There's tension. You may feel tense as you realize that. And in the rest of verses 24 and 25, what about the references to the various signs in the sky? What about those? Remember, this is the section where he's answering the question about his coming. When will that be? What will be the signs for that? This kind of language, some people call it image language. They're these fantastic pictures that we have in our minds when we read them, actually is used in many places in the Old Testament to refer to various kinds of cataclysmic historical events, especially God's judgment on certain nations. Isaiah 13, Ezekiel 32, Joel 2, Joel 3, Amos 8 are the main ones. Same language. But it's also true that words like these occur in the New Testament where they are clearly associated with Christ coming at the end of the age. Matthew 13, Matthew 16, Matthew 25, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. You get the message here. 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Peter 3, and Revelation 1, 7. Revelation 1, 7 says this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. 
judgment. The second timing issue is in our text is verses 26 through 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The sudden coming, coming of Jesus will happen at the end of the times of distress. It's really a pretty, pretty simple timeline. Which simply is the end of all human history. Notice that Jesus is coming and the angels gathering the elect from the ends of the earth all happen together simultaneously, suddenly. Jesus is coming to judge. He's speaking of the final judgment here. And in this section of Matthew's account, we read that when the sign of the Son of the Man appears in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Revelation uses the word wail. Why? Because they know that for them, judgment has arrived. I hope you're thinking about this. When Jesus comes to judge, there's not going to be a thousand years of Christians ruling the earth and people that were there that aren't even believers. When he comes, that's the judgment. Second Thessalonians 1 7 and 8, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a little more serious than what we think. Well, there's another timing issue, the third one in verse 29. Jesus says, So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Now, this statement follows the image Jesus Jesus uses here in this passage of the fig tree in the preceding verse of verse 28. Jesus says, when a fig tree, it's like he's saying, when a fig tree buds and produces leaves, summer is near, but it hasn't arrived yet. Likewise, when the signs of the end are present, the coming of the Son of Man is imminent and inevitable, even though he himself has not yet appeared in his glory. And again, Jesus is saying that his return is imminent. How does that affect us? We must be ready. It could be any time. These things refers to all the distresses of verses 5 through 20 that will characterize all of church history. Not the sun, moon, stars, all of which are sudden. Make that distinction. Which question is he answering here? When Jesus comes, those things are sudden, the sun, moon, stars. Why? Because if people see signs of exactly when Jesus is coming, oh no, we've got two hours. Nobody has a second When these signs appear, sun, moon, stars, it's over. In other words, these things here refers to the calamities preceding Christ's return, not to the actual coming of Christ. 
And the only way you can really see this in this text is to do what we've done and, answer, and look at each part of what he's answering in each part and see how at the end of a couple of these parts, he's saying, no, not yet. Or he's saying, look, when I come, it's going to be this way. So this is different, and you've got to make those distinctions. Now, the biggest question in this passage is about this generation, is it not? At least it is for most people. The fourth timing issue in verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now if you understand what we just explained about verse 29, what verse 29 refers to, then verse 30 should all of a sudden make sense. Verse 29 and 30 go together because they are part of the same paragraph and they occur one right after the other. So verse 28 was the fig tree lesson, but verse 29 is, so when you see these things taking place, you know that he's near at the very gates. So what is he referring to there? Every time this phrase is used, this generation, in Matthew and Mark, it means the generation to which Jesus is speaking. And as we've seen, all these things refers, refers to all of the distresses that will be the whole age. The, the first big one, probably, the really big one, was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So if this interpretation is right, All that verse 30 demands is that the distresses of verses 5 through 20, including Jerusalem's fall, happen within the lifetime of the generation then living. The beginning of the distresses, the calamities have begun. So these guys are a part of this age that we are also a part of. This does not mean that the distresses must end with that time, but only that all these things must happen within it. And that's very key. I smell confusion. Again, Christians have been distressed more than the distress of the times about these particular things. But this is one of those passages where it really helps to list what the disciples ask Jesus and how he answers them and what he answers first and what he answers second as the example of the whole time that's going to be distressful and full of tribulation. And then this is me coming and it will be sudden and when everybody sees me coming it's over it's time for judgment then we see verse 31 at the end of our chapter heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away and this is Jesus's exclamation point about his word being absolutely authoritative So make sure as we think about this, we must think about, again, not the chart first that you saw 20 years ago, 
But start with this passage. Where else in Scripture are these questions asked point blank of the Savior? Where? Right here. And see how he answers them. And make other things fit his timeline and description. And you'll be on solid ground. Because the words of the Lord are eternal. They're not, they won't pass away. And that makes the rest of his word, authoritative word, make more sense. And he says, they will remain even though heaven and earth will pass away. And as we read this chapter, rather than wondering about the specific moment when Christ will return, we should be asking ourselves if we're ready for his return. Now, let me just be honest and ask you something. As we've been going through this, which one of those questions have you been asking? See, if you haven't been asking, Lord, am I, have you searched in your heart? Am I ready? then you've completely missed the point. And that's how easy we can get distracted. Will you be ready whenever his return might be? And that's what this last paragraph in chapter 13 warns us to be ready. You know why? Because we don't know the precise time of Jesus' return. Our goal is not to find an escape route in some text that is obscure, thinking that we're going to get out of it. Don't plan on it. Trust the Savior who is shortening the time for just that reason. Tribulations are for us to endure through. That's why he says what? He who endures to the end will be saved. It's called the perseverance of the saints. He will supply what we need. This is what Jesus was teaching his disciples then. And maybe the looks on their faces look something like the looks on some faces in here. Like this, until after he rose... And Jesus explained them on on several occasions, and it started coming together. And then they realized that he is their only hope. But they were told to be ready. And that's why Christians, down through the ages, have been ready. And how many false messiahs have said this? Or how many people have said, this is the time when he's coming? If you hear that, it's ridiculously a lie. Because Jesus says no one knows. So are we listening? Are you listening? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this incredible text. We thank you for the record in three places, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where these three questions in one big question, in one sentence, the disciples ask. They go to a private place on top of the Mount of Olives and Jesus speaks to each one. 
We pray that you would sear these words into our hearts, help us understand how the the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD was the first really big example of the calamity and the tribulation that will be characteristic of the whole church age until you return. And while there might be an incredible increase near the very end, we still will not know the exact time. Lord, we need to be okay with that because our hope and trust is in you, our faithful God. We need to realize that your promise to return is sure. It's imminent. It's unavoidable. And we pray that you'd use that in our own lives to make us more willing to run to the cross when we see our hearts straying, to depend on you and your spirit indwelling us, to have a desire to live for you in the days in which we do live, and that you will be where our hope is, and that we would be ready. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? And I want to read the verses right before Revelation 1-7. Maybe this will help. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. You're dismissed.